This is Barrett Edelstein, and today we're speaking to the brilliant Mr. Clark Datchler from Johnny H. Jazz. Clark, how are you today? Where do we find you in the world, and what's happening in your life? Uh, I'm very well, thank you, Barrett. Thanks for asking. It's a beautiful Sunday here in the south of London, and uh, I am in the midst of preparing for uh, festival season. So Johnny H. Jazz are going to be playing a lot in the UK. And um, so there's a lot of preparation to do for that. I mean, we're still really catching up on the fact that there was not a lot of activity, obviously, during the pandemic. And although we we actually toured at the end of last year and we did do some uh, we did do one or two very unusual gigs in, in those spaces where lockdown in the UK was lifted. We did some unusual gigs, actually. I think we did one gig which, where we were the only concert in the whole of mainland Europe. Oh, well, um, I can tell you how that happened, but that's another <laughs> kind of, you know, really getting to grips with the fact that life is returning to, you know, a, a kind of normal. So we're, we're I'm in that preparation mode right now. And what did you get up to during lockdown? Well, actually, lockdown was a really, you know, obviously very challenging time for all of us uh, it, it, to varying degrees. What I ended up doing was like a lot of musicians, I started to live stream. Um, and I was a little bit late to to that particular activity. Um, I don't know why. I think that I felt that so many people were doing it that why would anyone be interested in yet another musician live streaming? But what I decided to do was take a song that I had written mm -hmm. every week and do a one hour live stream free and just ask anyone who wanted to come and join me uh, to watch me talk about that song, answer questions, and then do an acoustic performance of that song at the end of, of the stream. And uh, I called it Jury Songs. And it really started out focusing on the original Johnny Hates Jazz album, Turn Back the Clock. And then it went into a lot of the solo work I did after leaving the band, which real, you know, diehard Johnny Hates Jazz fans were aware of. Yep. And then reaching into the Johnny Hates Jazz material that I did with my colleague Mike Nasita when I rejoined in about 2010. And um, it, it ran for about six months and only came to a stop because we were invited to join Level 42 on their UK tour in autumn last year. Okay. So I've actually started Journey Songs again. It's, it's back on my social media channels on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And um, now we're looking at the solo projects I did in the 2000s and the most recent Johnny H. Jazz album, Wide Awake. And it's become very popular. And, and so that was really a, a big part of what I did in, in lockdown. And it was really rewarding. Um, it was a, a wonderful way, actually, to engage with the people who have followed my music over the years and Johnny H. Jazz's music and get to know them better because it's very interactive. Yeah. Uh, so I, I see that going on for some time now. Oh, that's awesome. That's amazing. Let's take it all the way back to the beginning. Tell us how your musical journey started. Who's Johnny? Why does he hate jazz? And where does the name come from? Let's take it all the way back. <laughs> no problem. Johnny actually is the brother-in-law of my colleague, Mike, Mike Macito, the other half of Johnny Hates Jazz. Okay. Um, I should say um, that the band started as a trio, myself, Mike, and Calvin Hayes. Calvin left the band in 2010. But anyway, um, obviously Calvin was in the band when when the when the name came about. And um, uh, Johnny, the real Johnny, is a real person and still very much around. Has a has a market store in 
the city of Cambridge in the UK, where he sent he sells speciality hemp produce, and he he guided tours around Cambridge. So if you're ever in Cambridge, now you know. Uh, anyway, um, many years ago, someone was there was a family gathering in Cambridge, and someone was was playing a Dave Brubeck record on a, on a vinyl record player, um, and I think it was Take Five, and um, Johnny got out of his chair, went over to the record player, grabbed the record over his knee. Apparently, this is true. Wow. Okay. Um, (laughs) And someone in the room exclaimed, wow, Johnny hates jazz. And (laughs) for some reason, you know, everyone laughed. I was shocked. But Mike remembered the phrase. So when it came to naming the band, he, he mentioned this phrase and told us the story. And we kind of fell about laughing. Not because anyone hated jazz, quite the contrary. I mean, I grew up in a house full of jazz. My dad was a very successful professional jazz musician. My favorite singer is Nat King Cole. But we just thought that it, you know, we knew that it was going to get a reaction. (laughs) (laughs) We knew that it was going to piss someone off somewhere. (laughs) As young guys thought this was very humorous. So, uh, and interestingly, the the name has stood the test of time. It's, It's weathered well. So, so that's the story. And tell me the early days, the the beginnings of your careers. What was that journey like of creating music, being successful, number one album, late 80s? How was that for you as young people in a band? What was that journey like for you? Well, um, the thing is, I think I think the thing we've got to do when we think about the 80s is that remember that the 80s was we, we tend to decadeize music these days yeah um, that's true the 80s, when you were in it you never thought of it as being the eighth it was just a, it was just a continuation of um the journey of music and and for us in the 80s we were children of the 70s and to a degree the late 60s so for us it was really the 60s 70s and 80s were one thing um and for me actually growing up like i said in a in a, with a history of, and roots in jazz, it was goes back to the fifties and forties and thirties. You know, I was I was very clear of my musical lineage, but I think it was really that thirty-year period, sixties, seventies, eighties, that was very much part of of what we saw ourselves as 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 um, contributing to. So, um, in that sense, music was its own universe. It's now become a competing form of entertainment well we never thought of music as entertainment it was its own thing i mean for example back then the idea of your record being used in an advertisement was a complete anathema that would have been the lowest thing you can do well these days it's like the holy grail (laughs) for a lot of it's what you chase because it's so hard to make money from streaming that except for the you know the the um the privileged few yep. in that kind of corporate epicenter success um that you know people you know are, are looking for corporate support well well back then in the 80s and the 70s and 60s it, that just didn't exist and and whoever entertained that idea were, were deeply frowned upon at best in fact it was sting who really opened that door. And I say that with deep regret because I think Sting is one of the greatest um, songwriters and performers of all time. Um, When he did an advertisement for Desert Rose with Jaguar, that Jaguar cars. Yeah. And I remember at the time, a lot of musicians, both 
very successful and, and less successful looked at each other thinking, oh, my God, what has he done? Um, so I'm sorry, I'm kind of diverging here, but I'm, no, that's I'm trying, okay. to, trying to paint a picture of what it was like for us then. Um, to be in music and to be successful was to really the, the peak of, of a, 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 a kind of a cultural it, it was it, it was the thing that we all dreamed of being. We didn't want to be footballers. There was no Premier League back then. I mean, I'm talking in British terms. Excuse me, everyone. Yeah, yeah. You know, there was no celebrity culture. There was no reality TV. Yeah. There was no, there were no, you know, singing shows. There were no dancing competitions. If there were, they were, they were very, very sidelined. Again, they were a bit kind of naff, as we yeah. were in the UK. <laughs> no, we know that we know that word well, naff. <laughs> I'm glad you do. <laughs> and I'm not saying they've become very polished now, but what I'm trying to say is that it, that was the thing to be. Now, I, I didn't get into music because I, I thought, well, that, you know, that was the reason because it was the equivalent of all these kind of celebrity driven things. Now I got into music because I love music. Um, it, it was a deep rooted thing, but it was also, I have to say, um, Let's let's just think about a, a, one of my favorite songs from the Beatles, Nowhere Man, one of John's songs. And Lennon said that, you know, when he was asked about Nowhere Man and, and what it was about, and he said it was about himself and really about his fear of being a nowhere man, of being someone who was who was lost and, and meant nothing to himself and nothing to society. And and I understood that growing up in Britain as I did at that time. And music, I think one of the reasons Britain produced such amazing music in that 30-year period was that it was, it was, you felt very threatened by nothingness and okay. uh, potentially meaninglessness. Yeah. And way out was music. And to, to a degree, comedy as well. Hence, you know, the rise of the goons and Monty Python and, and that whole school of comedy. So um, anyway... <laughs> I don't know if that was everyone else's story in terms of music, but, uh, you know, in the 80s. But I think that it actually it did fuel a lot of people getting into music in that 30 year period of time. So I would like to say, oh, it was great. The 80s and it was all spangly and, you know, and it was all as, as it tends to be characterized now, you know, sparkly and flash dance and, and all yeah. this kind of thing. It wasn't like that at all for us. Yeah, it was deadly serious. You know, we were with one another we weren't friendly at all with one another if we passed each other in you know television studios doing programs like top of the pops which was kind of the the cutting edge the, the, the most important music tv show in the uk at the time you know yeah. if you were pops you were you were gonna have a hit if we passed if we passed duran duran or wham or tears for fears we would barely look at each other in the eyes oh wow this is interesting okay Oh, competitive. That was actually, that, that was a reflection of the time, actually. The 80s was a hugely competitive time. And, um, you know, now everyone does these revival shows, uh, these retrospective shows where everyone's very chummy and friendly with, it, with one another. Well, that's not how it was back in the time. Um, you know, we, we, if, if you were going to do well, it was going to be the, at the expense of someone else that because... For a very simple reason, the chart, the top 40, meant everything. It doesn't mean anything now because it's not reflective of sales. 
you know, it includes streams and we don't really quite know how streams work anymore. Does it reflect sales? Well, no, not really, but they've kind of come up with this strange calculation to make it seem like it does. Um, but back then, no, it was just sales. It was literally what people wanted to spend money on. Yeah. So, you know, to get into the top 40 was incredibly difficult. To get a record deal was unbelievably difficult. To have a hit was phenomenally difficult. <laughs> so the idea, sorry, I am really, you, you asked the question, you pressed no. the button. No, it's fine. I'm, I'm going to unpack so many things when you finish. I'm looking forward to this. I'm enjoying this 100%. So you carry on. The, the, the thing that we have to remember is that um, nowadays in the world of streaming, yeah. And I do this as well. Okay. I'm not, I'm not pointing the finger at a younger generation. If I was young right now, I would do the same. Young people announce that they've got a new single coming out. They've just released a new album. They've put an EP has dropped and all this, this phraseology. Well, you couldn't do that in the eighties. You actually could barely do it in the nineties either. You certainly couldn't do it in the seventies and sixties. Yeah. There's no means to release music. You had to go through the structure that had been around for decades called the music industry, which revolved around well-established record labels and to a degree music publishers. Otherwise, you weren't going to release records. You, weren't going to re you couldn't release music. So it was a very small group of bands and artists that could get music out into the world, and then even fewer for whom radio would give them the time of day and airplay. And in that sense, the bar was high. The bar was very high. That doesn't mean there wasn't shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, was, there, there was comparatively little of it. Yeah. That's look back on those decades and go, wow, what amazing music came yeah. out of the 70s and 80s. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you why it was. Because the bar was so high. Because the A&R people of that time kept the bar so high. So there you go. That's what it was like. <laughs> I love this discussion. You know, I remember as a kid, when you speak about the top 40, I would get my smash hits, my number one magazine, and I listened to the Billboard American charts. And this, I loved, and I still do it now, as you mentioned, it's not as, you don't know where those numbers come from, because like you said, is it streams, is it sales, where are those numbers coming from? But I've been following the charts since I was like two or three years old four years old, loving it every week. And that was my thing. For me now, personally, I still buy the CDs. I still love the books. I still love the aesthetic of holding something and that joy of peeling open that packet, opening the booklet, seeing the words and that interaction of owning something compared to these uh, streaming platforms where it's somewhere in a cloud somewhere that can be taken away from you because someone's taken their song off the platform so it's it's i'm with you i'm still old school i love all those type of things and also it's interesting these days that if an artist is doing well then all of a sudden all these other artists are collaborating with them to get higher numbers or higher streams or higher sales or higher hits where it's interesting that you say back in the day you know it was so competitive that it was just this sort of hunger and drive that drove everyone to create the best i i love what you said and i think it's absolutely brilliant <laughs> thank you i'm glad you did <laughs> you mentioned one of your favorite beatles songs tell me more about the artists that you grew up listening and you mentioned nat King cole the artists that you grew up listening to who you listened to in the 80s 
And are there any of the current artists who are releasing stuff now that you are listening to? Um, well, in terms of who I listen to, I was very eclectic. I didn't, you know, I, I think there's a tendency still to this day, but this certainly was, this was possibly a slight downside of the past of, um, in terms of how tribal people could be around music. Um, you know, that they like specific genres and they tended to put down other genres. And I, oh, yeah. I was never like that. Yeah. If I liked a song, I, it was good. I didn't care. So I, you know, I went from anything from, I was a <coughs> big 70s Stevie Wonder fan. Yeah. I loved Stevie's songwriting in the 70s. I thought he was God. Um, obviously the Beatles goes without saying really um i i loved um the who and i loved the moody blues um i i listened a lot to the isley brothers i think are incredibly underrated still i think they they crossed so many barriers and genres it's not true um and earth wind and fire was a big fan of but i was also a huge fan of people like rainbow richie blackmore's rainbow um and then got into the sex pistols Whilst at the same time <laughs> getting into uh, Parliament and Funkadelic, and I was really broad-minded in that way. I, I didn't, uh, you know, like I say, if I if I liked the songs, that's what was important to me. Yeah. Um, I was a big ABBA fan. I love you ABBA. Know, yeah. People at the time. <laughs> yeah. I was at the time. You couldn't say that though. Yeah. For risk of you know having harm done to you by some groups of people <laughs> it, it, was, it was so silly i was a you know I, I was a genuine abba fan at the time and i think it wasn't until elvis costello covered knowing me knowing you that suddenly all the all the cool critics of the time you know came out of the closet and said oh well, i have a brilliant songwriter benny and bjorn yeah i always thought they were great these were the same people put abba fans down back in the day yeah no abba were great um uh, just as I, I've mentioned before, Sting and the Police, brilliant, you know. So, um, but the music that really, you know, turned me around in the eighties that got me into electronica. That there was one particular record actually, which was Love on Your Side, the Thompson Twins, and uh, and I, I think it was the fact that it 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 somehow combined a, a soul groove with a, a hyper electronic approach, which was you know very much of the time that really really touched me um and and in terms of the music of that time of that decade that for me was the finest well it would have been anything by Rui Chikamoto um or um Talk Talk or Tears to Fears they were the best bands for me at that time okay um and in terms of in terms of the I should mention a couple of others I don't know why I'm not Ice House from Australia Crowded House great I love Crowded House as well um in terms of the current era well, uh, there, there, there are quite a few, but they tend not to be uh, the, the most celebrated. I mean, there's a trance band, a trio called Above and Beyond, who okay. have been many years. I don't know if any of your listeners would be aware of them. Above and Beyond um, are a British trio, uh, have been very successful over a long period of time. And they've started in the trance world. It's very song driven. That's one of the reasons I love them. And... They've now started to, or they've been doing this for some time, make albums and do tours with orchestras where they've done away with the whole rhythmic side of it and just performed their songs, songs with an orchestra acoustically. And it's beautiful. So I like Above and Beyond very much. I, um, if we're to go to a, a, you know, a more current crop of artists, France is in the Lights 
don't know if anyone's familiar with Francis and the Lights. Francis and the Lights um, produced and collaborated with uh, Kanye West a few times. He's okay. a, an interesting artist. Um, I, uh, Holly Humberstone is yeah. uh, someone I've got my eye on. I think she's a, a good writer. Didn't didn't Holly just win the Brit uh, Up and Coming Award? I think she, the BBC Brit Up and Coming Award. I think she was either nominated or just won, recently won that, if I'm not mistaken. I have no idea. I, yeah. I have to say that from the very inception of the Brits, I've paid them absolutely no attention whatsoever. Okay. <laughs> okay. They're absolutely dire. Sorry. Okay, that's no, really okay. <laughs> I feel okay. the same way about the Chinese now. So, um, uh, and I, I think she doesn't need such recognition. I think she'll she'll do it in her own right. So. Okay. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I don't mean to be a bit of a downer there, but um, I, I think all. she's good. Who could I mention? Um, a band that's been around a while now, actually, called The Midnight. The Midnight okay. are um, part of the synth wave movement, and the synth wave movement is a very much a movement that pays homage to really the 80s but kind of a, the 80s as seen through the prism of Blade Runner and the Vangelis soundtrack of Blade Runner it's kind of interesting uh, it's very pop you know it's very song driven as well but that synthwave movement I think some of your fans will be aware of it the Midnight are very good so yeah there's you know there's there's quite a few people out there that I follow and I'm and I'm aware of and and some really good ones yeah brilliant so now tell us about your creative process in creating music and a song is it different every time what inspires the music is it personal journeys and external world influences tell us that entire process if you can in a little story <laughs> yeah well um i think that growing up in the 70s and i mentioned my uh, love of 70s stevie wonder as one example i grew up inspired by music that sought to contribute to the wider world and to, in, in its own way, influence the course of the wider world for the better. And that was what Stevie Wonder was really good at. And, and, and others, you know, many others, Marvin Gaye, Sting was very good at that as well, still is. The Moody Blues I mentioned before as well. Yeah. So that's always been a big part of what inspires me? I mean, when you think about early Johnny Hates Jazz, I mean, of course, everyone uh, is mostly familiar with Shattered Dreams and then Turn Back the Clock, and 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 I'm I'm so happy about that. Uh, those songs are very dear to me. But our our second single, our second hit, excuse me, was I Don't Want to Be a Hero, which is an anti-war song, and and that was actually a bigger hit in some countries than those other two songs, and and that's still very relevant. I still get a you know, I've, I've performed that all over the world and with Mike and, and come up to us afterwards. And that actually is the song that often people want to talk to me about because they've got people in the armed forces or they've lost people in conflict. And that song has meant something to them. Um, fast forward, though, I, after leaving Johnny Hates Jazz, I, I really got very involved in the environmental movement. This is before or the, the phrase climate change became so widely accepted. So we're now talking about the late 80s, early 90s. And, um, and a lot of my music became inspired by, I wouldn't say, you know, the environmental movement can be a bit kind of dry <laughs> if you're not careful. But it, I became inspired really by 
anything to do with our relationship to life and the earth and and that can include love of course mm. but i i don't i think there's so many relationship songs out there you know there's there's certainly many 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 shallow relationships songs <laughs> yeah. there and, and there's some very deep ones as well but i, I don't really feel the need to add to that great big pile of songs of that subject matter very often. So I tend to write songs that I think are, you know, about meaningful subjects to us as, a, as humanity. And so I, I you know, I, I, that's something that I've really focused on in my solo work and, and in the most recent Johnny Hates Jazz album, which is called Wide Awake. You know, there's a, there's a lot of those songs. Most of the songs are of a rather big nature. The, the first single was called Spirit of Love. And really, Spirit of Love was just saying to all of us and to me myself, you know, um, we're in such a time of conflict. And certainly now that's even more yep. in our faces. Such a time of conflict and fragmentation that what we need more than anything right now is to just share the spirit of love with one another, a uh, spirit of unity. And, um, and so... You know, the, those are the subjects that really inspire me. Um, and, uh, and and often people, when they come up to me after gigs and they talk to me about their experiences, or they do during my live stream, they share their stories with me that have been triggered by a song I'd written in the past. Those become inspirations for future songs. So um, I'm, I'm, I try to be attentive to the world around me, and, and, and that informs me as to what I want to write about. Amazing. I was reading about your uh, environmentalism and activism around that. And yeah, it's way for me as well. I mean, I mean, I try to do my little bits, you know, I'm a vegetarian, do the recycling. And I've been doing it for many years. And it's just about being mm -hmm. conscious of the world and earth and everything around us. That's very important because if there isn't that, there's none of us. So... <laughs> No, I was going to say I'm the same. I mean, we, we, we can all do what we can do. You know, it's like it, the, the thing about, as you just said, about being a vegetarian and doing recycling and everything. So, sometimes that's all we can do. I think that I think that the most important thing, though, and I, and I try and look at this in my in my solo work, is that it's often a question of where we're coming from. And this is why the environmental movement I mentioned can be a bit dry. You know, uh, and, and I I spent many years studying with Native American elders in, in North America, mm -hmm. because um, I wanted to know uh, really what they had to say about the fact that we seem to be wantonly destroying the one planet in the entire universe that, we, that, that can support us as life forms. And, and it really is a question of building a, a more emotional connection with the planet again with life with the earth and 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 i think that's something that is we, we are beginning to do but we've got a long way to go totally agree tell me about your experience of south africa have you been here at all and your perception of the country i haven't been and i and and shockingly i haven't been i think that when you're a musician you know you you tend to you know, you have to wait to be asked to go because generally people, people often ask me this about going on holiday as an example. I tend not to go on holiday because as a musician, you tend to travel so much for work that that becomes your, 
your way of experiencing other lands. Yeah. And when you get back home, you don't, you're not really of a mind to go, right, where am I going to go on holiday? You need yeah. to get back home and just cool out. So for what, you know, and you can't also just create a tour somewhere. You have to be invited by, you know, local promoters. So it hasn't happened uh, anywhere on the continent yet. So it, when that happens, we would love to come. I, I know that we had um, success, especially in South Africa in the eighties. I, I really hope it does happen. And um you know, when that time comes, I, I will eagerly get on the plane or the ship or whatever means of transport <laughs> we will have by then and uh, really look forward to experiencing it very much. Let's put it out there that you will be coming through. And when you come down, we will go for coffee. How about that? <laughs> oh, that sounds great. I love that. <laughs> Fantastic. <You're wrong. laughs> Perfect. I'm looking forward to that coffee. Absolutely. <laughs> and we'll stay in touch and let's put it out there that we will have... Uh, organize that concert here or something will happen a promoter will come through your top five favorite songs i know this is a very difficult thing but if you had to give me from five to one your five top favorite songs that you would put on repeat on your playlist right now starting off at number five what number song would that be you mean by other people yes correct <laughs> okay. putting you putting um, you putting you on the spot there putting you on the spot <laughs> okay well there's so many of them really i think that uh oh okay um in no particular order okay i find this very very difficult at number five i'll put forbidden colors by david sylvian and ruichi sakamoto okay which is a theme to Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, the, the movie with okay. um, David Bowie and Sakamoto. At number four, I put Higher Ground, Stevie Wonder. Yeah, good song, good song. <laughs> At number three, put The Long and Winding Road, The Beatles. Yeah. At number two, I'll put Shout, Tears for Fears. At number one, I'll put... Um, <laughs> uh, oh, you know what? Oh, God, what would I put number one? I'm going to say Nights in My Satin, the Moody Blues. There you go. Okay, but I'm sure there are hundreds of other songs that will make the list if, I, if you had to give me that list on another day, for sure. Oh, yeah, I'm sure joint number one, sorry. Joint number, number one with Nights in My Satin would be Harvest of the World, the Isley Brothers. Okay. So, so there you go. That's it. I'm going to add all of those to my playlist. Um, some most of them already are most of them already are just to, to finish off we've got listeners in south africa and all around the world so for our last minute what would be the message that you sent to our listeners well the message for listeners is firstly for those of you who have followed my music and johnny hayes jazz jazz's music over the years thank you for your ongoing support because as a musician, it's well, I would like to invite you people to and join me for my people um, reach out to live stream, which is media every other Sunday after gigs the beginning and, of um, each Sunday, and say how um, much the beginning of each month the music has meant to them, and then happens uh, on and, the Sunday and share their the stories with me. Um, and the live stream is particular songs, songs um, and it happens at five p.m. UK time, so it'll be six p.m. South African great significance. And uh, it, it lasts for an hour and it's quite a community that has formed. And I think people will be pleasantly surprised at 
what a warm and welcoming environment it is. And it's a, it's it's quite a quite a deep and philosophical hour. Um, so whoever would like to join in, please do. You'll find that on um, facebook.com forward slash Clark Datchler official, youtube.com forward slash Clark Datchler official, and um, also on my, my Twitter account. Um, so that's one thing I'd like to say. And um, Sorry, Clark, yeah. is it also on Instagram or only on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube? It's only on Facebook, um, YouTube and Twitter. That's okay. right, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, thank you. You can find me on Instagram, but um, I, I can stream to Instagram at the same time because of um, Instagram's own limitations. Okay. And likewise, there there is an album out called Journey Songs 1, uh, which accompanies the first series of Journey Songs, which happened last year. Journey Songs 1 is available um, at um, musicglue.com forward slash Clark Datchler, www.musicglue.com forward slash Clark Datchler, um, an accompanying album. And uh, there will be a Journey Songs 2 coming out uh, in a while as well. Um, and, and the thing I would say beyond that is that um, I think everyone needs to expect from the music world far deeper engagement artistically, creatively with the challenges that we're facing on the planet. Uh, it's one thing for musicians and artists to be concerned on one hand, but then write and sing about something totally different on the other. Yeah. And that is something that unfortunately in the last, I would say, 20 years has become very commonplace where you've got an artist being happy to be an entertainer on, you know, in the, in the recorded format and on social media, et cetera, but also being concerned in their private life about what is happening to the planet. Well, those two things, those, that division needs to end. That division wasn't there in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and to a degree in the 90s. You've got to sing and write about what you care about. Yeah. You know, and, and, and we've had enough of, you know, it's fine to write about love. It's fine to write about dancing all night and all this stuff. And it's fine to write about teenage angst to a point. Yeah. But we need to go beyond that, people. You know, it's, it, it, it's, we've had too much of it. Music has to reclaim the place of actually helping to point the way forward for human society rather than just be a kind of a distraction from how troubling the world has become. And right now it's become a distraction. Um, so we, and the only way we can demand that is how we respond to music and what we choose to listen to and what we choose not to listen to. So we've, we've really got to expect more from our artists. That's what I would say. And dropping the mic at that point. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Clark Dashler from Johnny H. Jazz for your time. This is Barrett Edelstein signing out. See you soon. Bye, Barrett. Cheers.